back to the David Glenn Show. More of your phone calls later this hour on the college football NFL. Lamar Jackson, college basketball and NBA headlines of the day. Heather Dinich, ESPN's college football playoff writer, is going to drop by. I know Heisman voters get to watch two more weeks of college football before filing their ballots or meeting that deadline. LSU quarterback Joe Burrow, of course, has two more games in that time period. We'll see if Heather thinks there are any other candidates out there. LSU still has Texas A&M this week at home, and then they will face Georgia in the SEC title game. The only other unbeatens, remember, as you look forward to tonight's new committee rankings, 11-0 Ohio State, 11-0 Clemson. The Tigers, the Buckeyes, and the LSU Tigers all know that if they keep winning, they're in the Final Four. They will be in that four-team bracket, the modern college football playoff. Y'all know the one-loss resumes that still matter include 10-1 Georgia. They do have to deal with LSU in the title game. 10-1 Oklahoma. They get rival Oklahoma State on the road this week and then Baylor in the Big 12 title game. 10-1 Alabama. Auburn this week at Auburn, but then home while championship games are being contested. Utah has one loss out in Pac-12 country. Minnesota still has one loss. Baylor still has one loss. And then you get to the two-loss resumes. Remember, no two-loss team has ever made the college football playoff. Now we have her. Follow her on Twitter at CFB Heather. Find her work at ESPN.com. Heather Dinich, welcome back to the David Glenn Show. What will be most intriguing in your eyes tonight, who follows this stuff every day, when the committee unveils its latest rankings? Where is Oregon? How far do they fall? Because that impacts Utah and the entire Pac-12 in regards to the college football playoff national championship, obviously. Utah needs a resume builder, right? And it would certainly help them if Oregon is still somewhere in the CFP top 10 because that could be a better win in the Pac-12 championship game than anything Oklahoma has, certainly than what Alabama would get from beating Auburn. Um, and those are the two things that you're really going against there. So to me, that's one thing to watch is who is the committee's highest-ranked two-loss team. Let me switch you to the Heisman real quick, and then we'll come back to the playoff. My understanding is all ballots are due soon after that conference championship game weekend. So somebody like LSU's quarterback Joe Burrow, who by all accounts is the front runner here, he gets Texas A&M this week, he gets that game against Georgia, and then ballots are due, of course, before any bowl games or the college football playoff. As you see it, how many contenders are even near enough to Joe Burrow that – they should consider themselves in contention for a trip to New York City? Well, I think that that's it, my personal opinion makes it tough to answer that because I think Chase Young is the best player in the country. And I think that he should be number one and he should win the Heisman this year. But that being said, um, I don't know how 800 and some people are going to view his two-game suspension. Um, and, and I don't think that you can forget Justin Fields, Jalen Hurts. I mean, Ohio State, in my mind, has two of the best players in the country on that roster in Chase Young and Justin Fields. So I think Joe Burrow is the easy, popular choice. But I think if Heisman voters are really paying attention to what's going on and what happened in that Penn State game and just how Chase Young was in the backfield in a blink of an eye and what he does disrupting the running game, I, you know, I just don't think it's an easy choice. Heather Dennett just joining us. Follow her on Twitter at CFB Heather. 
I'm sure you wanted this job description today. We're going to ask you to referee uh, about between Tim Brando and mm. Paul Feinbaum. You ready for this? Oh, gosh. Brando right. is mad that Feinbaum, uh, I guess technically one of your colleagues with the worldwide leader, uh, Brando, as you know, is all about – he hates SEC bias. He thinks the SEC gets too much unearned uh, credit. Uh, their secondary teams, of course, in his eyes, are unfairly considered when they should be on the outside looking in. Paul Feinbaum apparently said that five SEC teams are better than the 10-1 the and one Utes of Utah. Brando says that's absolutely insane and another example of SEC bias. Uh, I can think of a couple. I'd take LSU or Georgia over Utah. I'm not sure if I'm getting – maybe Alabama as well. I'm not sure I can get to five, though. What do you think, Heather Dinich? I can't get to five, and I see Feinbaum every Sunday morning. (laughs) (laughs) And I will tell you exactly what I would tell him to his face on Sunday if I was looking at him. And I would say, Paul, you're crazy because Utah is a really good team. You haven't watched enough of them. I think that they could certainly earn a spot in the college football playoff ahead of Alabama. Um, I think they're that good. I think they are deserving of it because they are that good. Um, They are top Eight, I want to say, in both offensive and defensive efficiency. And it would not surprise me if they crushed Oregon in the Pac-12 championship game. I know Utah has amazing, especially defensive numbers. They seem to be one of those resumes where it's more about annihilating people, a little bit like Alabama, right? More about annihilating people than the number of your quality victims. Because just as Alabama all season has been hearing about, you know, only Texas A&M is really a quality victim of yours in your 10 wins, I guess with Utah it would be what, only, I don't know, 6-5 and five Washington is their, their, their most impressive win? That doesn't sound all that convincing. I'm not even, I'm not refereeing the Brando Feinbaum thing, but that is a fair question about Utah. They're annihilating people, but what's their best victim? Well, it would be. That's why, going back to the first question, that's why it's important to see how far Oregon falls. Yeah. Because if you've got a top 10 win on your resume, I mean, if you look back at the past 20 semifinalists, everybody has had at least one win against the CFP top 25 opponent, against, against a ranked opponent. How far would Auburn drop? That's a double-edged sword mm. for Alabama because then Auburn has four losses. So when you're comparing them, yeah. you know what? Um, it's it's a it's a fair question. What does Alabama have versus what does Utah have on its resume? And it could be the Pac-12 conference championship that changes the entire conversation. But remember this: the committee did not have Alabama in its top four with Tua in the lineup. Right, they were a bubble team, right? So. How much is a win against Auburn going to change that for Alabama with Mac Jones in the lineup? I don't know. Oregon losing certainly helps them, but it helps a lot of teams. We did a decent job of circling last week the games that were worth watching. You know, you kind of know who's in jeopardy and who's at least somewhat in jeopardy. So Ohio State ended up being, I don't know, a 28-17, a relatively close game against Penn State. Georgia ended up winning by only six over Texas A&M. And sure enough, Oregon got shocked by Arizona State. As you think of this final week of the regular season, 
and you contemplate, you know, LSU hosting Texas A&M, Ohio State visiting Michigan, Clemson visiting South Carolina, uh, Georgia's at Georgia Tech, Oklahoma's at Oklahoma State, uh, Alabama's at Auburn. You know, which of the highest-ranked teams do you think are in the highest-risk games this week? Oh, Oklahoma's in a really high-risk game because they're playing a ranked opponent on the road, unlike the uh, ACC-SEC rivalry yep. games there. Well, Alabama is on the road against the ranked opponent, too. But as far as Oklahoma, I think that's really dangerous for them because two-loss two Pac-12 or Big 12 is certainly not getting in this thing, and I really don't think Baylor has a chance. Um, but that being said, I would say the Iron Bowl is number one on the list in terms of games that can impact the playoff. Because it's the first time the committee is going to see Mac Jones against a ranked opponent, against a really good defense. What does he look like? How do they fare? They could lose. <laughs> Who knows, you know, but I think that that is really interesting because they either fall out of it or they can make a statement, hey, we're not out of this thing yet. Our statewide audience in North Carolina includes an affiliate right there in Boone, North Carolina. So it may not be at the top of your responsibilities list, Heather, but that whole group of five New Year's six opportunity uh, looms large to followers of the Mountaineers. We've seen UCF kind of fall by the wayside. We saw SMU get a second loss. If you assumed that the Mountaineers were the 12-1 and Sunbelt champion, Mm -hmm. What is your rule of thumb? Like, would you just say, hey, Boise better lose again? And uh, whoever wins between Cincinnati and Memphis and the American this week, uh, that team better lose in that conference championship game? Is I guess, rephrasing, is it only going to be a 12-1 and Mountaineers on New Year's Day if all the other group of five conference champions have at least two losses? I think they need help. Isn't their loss to Georgia Southern? Uh, their loss is to Georgia Southern, correct? Right. Yeah. That's, that's what I think. Um, I think that that might hurt them and make what you're saying is true. There's a reason that they're trailing the American Athletic Conference right now. But that being said, <laughs> you can't forget about Navy either. Because if Navy wins mm -hmm. and Memphis loses, Navy wins the West Division, and, and obviously Cincinnati is, is an outstanding team. To me, Cincinnati and Memphis are leading for a reason, but one of them is going to have two right. losses. So what does the committee do with them in that case? And as you mentioned, Boise State is still in this thing. I just wonder how much that Georgia Southern loss holds App State back in this whole thing. But if they, if they win their conference, they're absolutely in the conversation because yeah. it is – the highest-ranked group of five conference champion that gets that bid. And it is the Cotton Bowl, so that's what they're aiming for. Um, I just think I think they need some help. Yeah, one more thing to watch tonight because some people tune out. Uh, I guess they go bottom to top, so you can't tune out too early. But the Mountaineers were number 24, according to the playoff committee, last week. Mm -hmm. uh, so they, they do need to worry about Boise was above them last week. Cincinnati and Memphis were both above them last week. So one more thing to watch toward the bottom part of tonight's top 25. Her name is Heather Dinich. Follow her on Twitter at CFB Heather and online ESPN.com. She is an outstanding college football playoff writer there. Early happy Thanksgiving to you, Heather, and thanks as always for your time on the David Glenn Show. Same to you. Thank you so much. You got it. 1-800-849-2761 is your ticket into the program. A crazy story in the NHL. Allegations of racial epithets toward former Hurricanes hockey coach Bill Peters.
sounds like the Calgary Flames are investigating before whether before they decide whether or not to fire the head coach of that NHL franchise. Meanwhile, we're talking a lot of football today. Not only week 14, which begins tonight and continues with games on Turkey Day and Friday and Saturday this week. NFL week 12 came to an eye-opening conclusion last night with the Ravens annihilating the Rams in L.A. and Lamar Jackson bolstering his MVP candidacy in the process. He is putting up some numbers never before seen in the history of the NFL. I mean, fantasy points, QBR, run-pass combinations. He's been that good for the 9-2 and two Ravens as they follow wins over Seattle, New England, and Houston with one more convincing one over the last year's NFC champions, the L.A. Rams. You can jump in on college basketball as well. Duke is number one in the polls and hosts Stephen F. Austin tonight. We'll be there with the David Glenn Show represented. Louisville is the other ACC team with the highest ceiling in my eyes. Jordan Wara is an ACC Player of the Year candidate. A lot of talent and depth and experience for head coach Chris Mack there. You could say the same or many of those same things about Mike Krzyzewski and the Blue Devils. UVA and UNC are good again, although I'm skeptical about either becoming a true national championship contender for reasons we can discuss. And how about those Hokies? Virginia Tech beat number three Michigan State in Hawaii last night. When the Hokies started 5-0, and to be honest, I kind of yawned. Man, that's an impressive start for the first-year head coach, Mike Young. Everybody remembers Buzz Williams, arguably the greatest basketball coach in Virginia Tech history, and I mean that seriously. He left the Hokies for Texas A&M and the big bucks that the Aggies threw at him after last season's Sweet 16 trip, one of the best seasons in Virginia Tech basketball history, no doubt about that. So Mike Young, after 17 seasons at Wofford with a Southern Conference superpower, and he took a team, what it was, it to the round of 32 last year, I think, with the Terriers. He gets the Virginia Tech job. My reaction was, yeah, they'll be good eventually. But I don't know how they're going to be good right away. So in their 5-0 and start, the best team they beat was Clemson. Well, Clemson's ticketed for the bottom third of the ACC, so it's a nice win, but it's not exactly eye-opening. Well, it was eye-opening last night. Tom Izzo and number three Michigan State go down to the Virginia Tech Hokies of Mike Young, how are they doing it? They're not the only second-tier ACC team that is worth watching. I'd put Florida State and even NC State on that list. The Wolfpack, with their full roster, still has not lost a game yet as Kevin Keith's squad is 5-1. and 1-800-849-2761. You can jump in with your questions or comments on college basketball. An interesting night last night in the NBA. Luka Doncic, LeBron James, Carmelo Anthony, Giannis Antetokounmpo, and more. NFL and college football, of course, here during Thanksgiving week. You can be next. We have more Lamar Jackson in his own words from his visits here on the David Glenn Show with more of your phone calls. 1-800-849-2761. Next. Kevin Harlan is joining us. It was a boring game, and the guy ran out right through the formation as if he was a wide receiver <laughs> to be a part of the play. The guy is drunk, but there he goes. You always think of calling that dramatic last-second buzzer-beating shot or a touchdown pass or, or something more historic. This is the David Glenn Show. And then one day she seen me overpower my, my younger brother. He's two years younger than me. And she was like, well, let me put these pads on. She made him take his off, put his on, <laughs> on her. 
and she smacked me. So I just had to go from there. Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. That was Lamar Jackson on one of his visits on our program talking about his mom's role in his upbringing. Again, his dad died of a heart attack when he was about eight. In his words, he went from being a daddy's boy for his first eight years of life to his mama's boy to a mama's boy for the 14 years since then. That was her strapping on the pads and the helmet, getting physical with Lamar and his siblings. They all now live up in the Baltimore area where he is putting together one heck of a second season with the Baltimore Ravens. We are coming to your calls. College football, tonight's committee rankings. Week 14 action begins on the field tonight. Virginia, Virginia Tech Friday for the ACC Coastal Championship. State Carolina in Raleigh on Saturday. We'll be there with the big tailgate tour. A lot to play for, especially if you're a fan of App State at the highest level. Wake Forest still a shot at a 10-win season that would be the second in school history Carolina at least has a shot at a bowl game North Carolina A&T is headed to the celebration bowl again Lenore Ryan has a shot at the D2 championship we wish everybody well in college football in our backyard moving forward college basketball is on our mind as well it was a big night in the NBA last night with LeBron James Luka Doncic Carmelo Anthony Giannis Antetokounmpo and others attracting the headlines and of course the ultimate phenomenon in the sports world this week or this month or even this season, that list has to include Ravens second-year quarterback Lamar Jackson, who continues to do some things that through the Michael Vick comparisons are as good, if not better, than Michael Vick did in a decade, decade and a half as an NFL quarterback. 1-800-849-2761. Ravens 9-2. and now with four victories over some of the other best teams the NFL has to offer, Seattle, New England, Houston, the Rams, all four of those were convincing by 14 points against the Seahawks in Seattle, by 39 against the Rams last night in L.A. The others were at home, but by 17 points over the Patriots, by 34 over the Houston Texans. Who knows, all four of them might end up being playoff opponents. They're all on the wins list for John Harbaugh's Baltimore Ravens, 1-800-849-2761 is your ticket into the program. We'll get to Walker in Raleigh. We'll get to you as well. One thing I promised on the NBA, reminder, no NBA games on Thanksgiving. NFL will lead the way, some college football as well. LeBron James had 33 points last night as the Lakers beat the Spurs to improve to an NBA best 15-2 record. Does that automatically mean that's the best team I've seen? Now LeBron has Anthony Davis, LeBron has former UNC star Danny Green. They have a lineup with JaVale McGee at center, with Contavious Caldwell-Pope on the wing. They have some help off the bench, including a seemingly unselfish, I don't care what my numbers are, Dwight Howard. Their record is the best, but their schedule is about to get a lot tougher. And that's why I'm not ready to crown the Lakers, even as 15-2, and two, as the new best of the NBA. I'll say more generally, best teams I've seen when they have everybody available, the Clippers, the Lakers, the Rockets, and the Nuggets out west, the Bucks, the Sixers, the Celtics, and the Raptors in the east. You can jump in on the NBA, college basketball, college football, or NFL questions of the day. Meanwhile, Mavericks star Luka Doncic has become appointment television for NBA fans. You actually get another chance tonight. The Clippers are at Dallas, NBA TV, 830. Doncic is the next generation. It was Dirk Nowitzki for two decades there in Dallas. 
the Mavs are much better than they were last year, and Doncic in his second year clearly is becoming one of the most compelling personalities uh, and on-the-court superstars that the league has to offer. Meanwhile, Carmelo Anthony followed a dud of a return from his 12-month-plus NBA absence with a stellar performance last night. He goes into the way-back machine for 25 points, 8 rebounds. I don't think Portland's going to be good enough out west, even with Carmelo, but the Blazers crushed Chicago, and Anthony at least gives them a chance to improve on a slow start. With his wife in attendance, are you a fan of La La Anthony? That's his wife's name. She is an actress is there a show called The Chi? C-H-I? I don't know how you pronounce the it. Chi? Is the that Chi? Is that refer to Chi Town, Chicago? I don't know. I don't know. I don't watch it. No. But I, Lala Anthony is one of the stars. She's also married to Carmelo. She was there in person last night. Just so worked out that Carmelo had a game in the same town where she was working or on her way to. And Carmelo dropped his 25-8 and eight with Lala in attendance to see in person not only the big performance by husband Carmelo, he passed Alex English for 18th on the all-time NBA scoring list. Carmelo Anthony may be most famous for his national championship at Syracuse and his gold medals as a member of Team USA. His NBA journey has been far more complicated than either of those two parts of his resume, to say the least. But he has scored a lot of points, and some think he still has something impressive left in the tank. 18th on the all-time NBA scoring list. Giannis Antetokounmpo dropped a 50-burger last night on Utah as the Bucks improved to 14-3, and, and for my money, still look like the beast of the East. The Hornets lost at Miami by 17 to fall to 6-12 and on the season. That is kind of where we expected the Hornets to be. Meanwhile, brace yourself for this if you haven't been paying attention. Do you know what the Golden State Warriors' record is right now? Not good. They, I don't know it exactly, but I know it's not good. They have played 18 games. Would you like to take a guess? Remember, Clay Thompson is still dealing with his injury. Steph Curry suffered an injury. Kevin Durant is still injured, but no longer a member of the Golden State Warriors. Have they won five games? They are 3-15, and 15, and they have the worst record in the NBA as we speak. Lakers the best at 15-2. and two. The Warriors turn that frown upside down. 3-15, and 15, the worst record in the NBA. And then the one thing on college basketball that really opened my eyes last night. When we gave our preseason predictions, first four names out of my mouth as the guy who created the ACC Sports Journal and ACCSports.com 25 years ago, I, you could argue whether Duke or Louisville is 1A or 1B, but they're the top two for me. You could argue whether UVA is three or UNC is three and the other is four. Again, they're close enough to me, not worth debating. Duke and Louisville give this, this league, which has, what is it now, nine of the last 19. Current ACC members have nine of the last 19 NCAA men's basketball Division I titles. That's an insane percentage for any single conference. And the ACC is that good that often, especially at the top. So Louisville and Duke, perhaps, will continue in that image. UVA and UNC, national top 10. But I need to see more from both the Cavaliers and the Tar Heels to believe that they can really make a run at a national title. You need more than three good, reliable players. Cole Anthony is the freshman sensation at point guard for Carolina. Garrison Brooks is the veteran forward. Armando Baycott is a really promising freshman center. Who are their next best players? We'll see. 
whoever they are, they better be a lot better by February and March than they are right now if Roy Williams wants to make a run at special things. How much help will Cole Anthony, Armando Baycott, and Garrison Brooks get? That's going to matter a lot during ACC season. So Duke and Louisville at the top, filled with talent and in depth and in some cases experience. The Hall of Famer Mike Krzyzewski leading the Devils. The second-year coach Chris Mack leading Louisville. The Cardinals have a, an ACC Player of the Year candidate in Jordan Wara. They have size. They have guards. They have chemistry, apparently. They have glue guys like Dwayne Sutton, formerly of UNC Asheville. Just a really well-rounded team that is right up there high in the rankings next to the Blue Devils, and deservedly so. So you had the top four. You had the handful we knew weren't going to be very good at the bottom. And in that bottom third, I thought would be Virginia Tech under their first-year coach, Mike Young. That is not because I don't respect the coach. The guy over 17 years at Wofford in the Southern Conference built one of the best programs that league has ever seen. Multiple NCAA tournament bids, including last year. Not a Mike Young issue. So he's new to the Hokies. Buzz Williams is off to Texas A&M. I knew the Hokies had one really good player. His name is Landers Nolly. They wished to get him eligible last year. He never got eligible, but he was in the program, and now he is eligible, and he is seriously an all-ACC candidate. That part doesn't surprise me. I saw him as a recruit. He's like a top 75 guy coming out of high school. The Hokies haven't gotten a lot of them. They did get one under Buzz Williams, and now that's paying off for Mike Young. But you don't think of a top half of the ACC team if you can only think of one guy you know is going to be really, really good. Everybody has one guy who's really, really good, right? Brandon Childress at Wake Forest is really, really good. Sean D. Brown's pretty good. They just don't have enough help. And Danny Manning is unlikely to have an NCAA tournament team as a result. I don't think Clemson, one of Virginia Tech's victims earlier this year, has enough to make a run at an NCAA tournament bid. Brad Brownell's a good coach, and guess what? When he has more horses... He makes a run at the NCAA tournament, and he climbs the ACC standings. When he doesn't have as many players, he crashes back to earth, sometimes misses the even the NIT, and falls into the bottom third of a 15-team ACC. So I knew Clemson would be down there. I thought Wake and BC and others would be down there. And I really thought Virginia Tech would end up in that bottom five somewhere as well. Not necessarily dismal, not, you know, 0-18 bad, but not good either. So sure enough... Through their 5-0 start, you could just chalk it up to a lack of competition. Again, Clemson, their one ACC victim, is not a very good team this year. But, and, and Coppin State, right? Lehigh, Delaware State is not even a good team by MEAC standards. So they're 5-0, but you just say, well, lots of teams start that way. And they don't have a single team that is going to go anywhere in any league this year that they have beaten. Then comes Michigan State which is top five in like the Ken Palm efficiency rankings, which was preseason number one, which has a Hall of Fame coach, our guest Tom Izzo, which has one of the top upperclassmen in America, Cassius Stanley, back and other talent. And yeah, they lost up at Madison Square Garden to Kentucky in that season opener, but they're still the Spartans. They still have talent. They still have that coach. So they meet in Hawaii. It's the first round of the Maui Classic, a tournament I was lucky to cover twice back in the day. Some of the highlights of my international travels, or, or in that case, national travels, but overseas, if you will, uh, to the beautiful islands of Hawaii. Michigan State against Virginia Tech last night. This is why I don't gamble. I'd have bet the ranch, the farm, and the dog that Sparty, 
top five in the rankings, number one in some of the efficiency rankings, would be too much for this cute story, oh, the Hokies are 5-0, and oh, but now they're going to re- be reminded of who they really are. Well, not so. The Hokies beat Michigan State last night. They're actually getting contributions from guys that I have never heard of in some cases, some of them Mike Young signees. He got the job late enough that there weren't exactly a lot of recruits left. So you got to try to re- you got to try to recruit essentially your own roster, convincing some dudes not to transfer. His starting point guard, Wabisa Beatty, entered the transfer portal. And a bunch of other teammates did transfer after Buzz Williams left. Some actually followed Buzz Williams to Texas A&M. Beatty ends up staying. Isaiah Wilkins is still there. He signs a kid from North Carolina who's another guard named Jalen Cohn, who's a pretty good high school player from our backyard. P.J. Horn is there. He got a kid who was going to play for him at Wofford to end up with him at Virginia Tech instead, a guy named Hunter Couture. And the next thing you know, the Hokies are 6-0. and They're climbing toward the national top 25 in the efficiency rankings. The football Hokies have gone from a dreadful 2-2 two and two start to playing rival UVA for a trip to the ACC title game on Friday in Charlottesville. And whereas there was a positive vibe around Virginia Tech basketball, that positive vibe was really about next year and the year after that and the year after that because Mike Young, Emory and Henry graduate, as is the producer of the David Glenn Show, Darren Vaught. Try to drop that in as often as I can for you, Darren. That guy is a proven commodity as a head coach. The only question was, could he do successful things in the ACC when all of his success had come at the Southern Conference level? Like, this is a question people are going to ask about Wes Miller if and when he's ready to leave UNC Greensboro. It is, of course, very impressive to become the best in your league at any Division I level. Lavelle Moton has gotten big-time head coaching offers elsewhere in Division I because of the monster he has built at NC Central. And then, y'all know me, I hope they all hang around. I love interviewing Wes Miller as the UNCG coach. I love interviewing Lavelle Moton as the NC Central coach. I'm not wishing them to leave at all. They've just gotten those calls, but for various reasons decided to stay. Well, Mike Young waited 17 years for that call from a Power 5 league, and he got it when Buzz Williams left the Hokies. He took the job. He scrapped together a roster, and I don't know how it's going to go from here. I really don't. Are they going to be an NCAA tournament surprise in year one under Mike Young? They got a nice resume builder. I don't think Sparty's going to face plant the rest of the way. That is going to be on your resume Whatever the rest of your schedule looks like come Selection Sunday, right? So credit to Mike Young. Credit to Landers Nolly. He does look like an all-ACC candidate in his first year on the active roster for the Hokies. Will he have enough help to sustain when the competition gets tougher and you really dive into ACC competition? We'll see. But hats off to Mike Young and the Hokies. Uh, an exciting program right now on the gridiron and, surprisingly, on the hard court as well. 1-800-849-2761 is your ticket into the program. Why, why do I sound so exasperated with stories like Bill Peters using racial slurs as an NHL head coach? Is that really a question that somebody's asking me right now? I got a better question. Why are you not exasperated when you read stories like that? that there's a great question for America to ask itself. Why are you shrugging your shoulders? How dare you ask me why I'm exasperated about a person of authority, a white man of authority, 
feeling so comfortable that he can drop the N-word repetitively on one of his minions who happens to be a man of color. Why am I exasperated? Why are you not exasperated? That's the better question. Holy cow. I mean, people really think that way? Really? It's a sports headline that is embarrassing in the same way many American headlines are right now. How about that? That's why I'm exasperated as somebody with training on matters of race and gender. Why am I exasperated like that? It's almost Thanksgiving. Do I really want to go down that road? How about because one-third of America has a Wizard of Oz complex when it comes to matters of racism and bigotry? How about that? No heart, no brain, and no courage to address the issues. That's why I'm exasperated. 1-800-849-2761. Back to sports, kind of. College football, NFL, NBA, and college basketball. Tiger Woods' 10-year anniversary is in the headlines as well. Josh Peter of USA Today actually tracked down the Escalade he was driving 10 years ago when he infamously hit the fire hydrant. The neighbors who came out with a blanket and pillow. The police officer who showed up to deal with that crazy overnight situation 10 years ago tonight. And even some of the mistresses that came to light as Tiger Woods' personal life was left for the world to see. 1-800-849-2761. More on those stories with more of your phone calls next on The David Glenn Show. Gary Player joining us. This morning I did 1,300 sit-ups and crunches. Wow. I pushed 300 pounds with my legs and I ran on the treadmill. You are one of the legends of golf and you've been an inspiration as a person as well. What a nice compliment and God bless America. You're listening to The David Glenn Show. Welcome back to The David Glenn Show. Lamar Jackson front and center. Week 13 in the NFL on the way. Week 14 in college football actually begins tonight and also includes games on Turkey Day and Friday and Saturday, of course. New committee rankings tonight. College basketball heats up. The Tar Heels are in the Bahamas. Duke hosts Stephen F. Austin tonight. Other intriguing matchups include Wes Miller and UNCG getting a shot at Patrick Ewing and the Georgetown Hoyas, who lost a competitive game to number one Duke over the weekend that was. Joey and Apex once in on the phenomenon of Lamar Jackson and the 9-2 Baltimore Ravens. They've won seven in a row. They look like the best team in the NFL, even though the Patriots and the 49ers have slightly better records. It was Baltimore 37, New England 20 when those two got together. If you're Baltimore, you have to remember that the regular season matters a lot because even if you somehow sustain the success, as we come to your calls, 1-800-849-2761, NBA, college hoops, college football, NFL, happy Thanksgiving, and otherwise, 1-800-849-2761. You have to like your chances of beating the Patriots in Baltimore, if it comes to that, more than handing the Patriots of Bill Belichick and Tom Brady an extremely rare defeat through potentially brutal weather weather in Foxborough, where they rarely lose any game, much less a postseason game. For now, the Ravens are one game behind the Patriots in the AFC pecking order. But remember, if they end up tied, it would be Baltimore that gets the head-to-head tiebreaker because of that 37-20 win over the Patriots about a month ago. Joey and Apex, welcome to the David Glenn Show. Go right ahead. DG, thanks for taking my call, man. Sure, Sure, man. What's on your mind? Man, I tell you, uh, and don't get me wrong, Lamar Jackson is right now is an absolute freak. Um, as a football coach, 
this the, the Ravens team right now has been the most excited about football I've been in a long time. Cool. Because in all honesty, you got to give kudos to Harbaugh because in in the era of the spread, we've seen a guy tweak his offense to the talent that he's got. This is old school football, man. If you look at the way they're pulling the tight end, kicking out the end, creating the running lanes, and with a running quarterback, they figured out that if your quarterback is an, is dangerous like that, yeah. you've got an advantage because the defense has to play you 11 on 11. And and it's you know, and usually it's just the linemen are, are more responsible for the quarterback than anybody. Tell me, tell me this, Joey. I agree with everything you just said. I'm curious through your eyes as a football coach. Did you, do you remember having – they're not perfect parallels, I know, because Cam Newton has his style, and he's not nearly as quick or, or, or just as speedy as Lamar Jackson as a runner. But they are two of the best rushing quarterbacks in the history of the NFL. Do you remember when the Panthers had that 15-1 and season in 2015? Did your eyes as a football coach, you know, see – that run to the Super Bowl because defenses didn't seem to have the answer for those Panthers that year. The Panthers were doing the same kind of things with running an offset line, putting more guys at the point of attack, making them real, real quick hitters to the point that the defense almost doesn't have a chance to react yeah. to it. And you've got and, and normally these guys they go around people, they don't go through people to make the tackle. So when you've got people in the way, it's just an opportunity for more and more yards. I'll tell you, you, you know what I thought? I wonder if you've had this feeling as a football coach. I did not play football nearly as long as I played ba uh, baseball. But one thing that I remember is if early in a game, you know what you prepared for, like you know the game plan that you thought would work. If early in the game you realize there is no way what you just did repetitions of for an entire week will not be the answer that day, that is a hollow, horrible feeling. And if you were Wade Phillips, a very respected defensive coordinator for the Rams last night, as Lamar Jackson was leading six drives, five of them to a touchdown, whatever the plan was, and Wade Phillips has decades worth of coming up with the right plan on defense – it had to be really early that he and his players realized we miscalculated here because the Ravens are killing us this way when we try to do this, and they're killing us that way when they try to do that. And there were even broken plays that Lamar Jackson turned into like 30-plus gains. Yeah, from a defensive standpoint, there's nothing more demoralizing than not being able to get off the field. Yes. And, and, and it's almost like the Ravens went back. I mean, you're talking the single – they're running kind of a single-wing hybrid type offense, which dates back to the 30. Yeah. And you're looking at it going, they went, they went back to the old part of run where they ain't. I mean, this is not complicated. <laughs> they're not doing anything special. They're running, letting you shift, and when you shift, they're going where you were. You know, it's really scary. Somebody threw out a stat. I'm trying to remember the exact sequence because I did watch most of the game. The first time Lamar Jackson allowed the ball to hit the turf was late in the first half because he was nine for nine in completions. So none of his throws had hit the turf. He hadn't fumbled the ball to hit the turf. He actually dropped a snap only to pick it up and run 30-some yards down to the two-yard line. I mean, like, the, so in a, in, in a half of, foot, of NFL football, he's nine for nine passing, four touchdown drives, and he turned his mistake into an almost touchdown. That's crazy. You just don't see that.
appreciate, I appreciate the call, Joey. 1-800-849-2761. We've got one heck of a story on our hands. I know it was four years ago, and there's, not, there's a lot of negativity around the Carolina Panthers. What's David Tepper going to do with the head coach, Ron Rivera? What's he going to do with his GM, Marty Herney? What's he going to do with his quarterback, Cam Newton? Would Cam and his people even be okay to play on a deal that is expensive, 20-plus million, but compared to other teams paying 30-plus million for their starting quarterbacks, I would let him try one more a year if I was convinced he could be healthy. If it's not him, what do you think of Kyle Allen? If it's not him, what do you think of Will Greer? What's available in free agency in the draft? There's just either negativity or speculation surrounding the Carolina Panthers. That's four years after, though, an unforgettable run to the Super Bowl where, yes, it was Ron Rivera has had top 10 defenses. I'd have to look it up to be exactly sure, but I'll bet you it's six of his nine years as the Panthers head coach. He's had top 10 defenses with Carolina. It's probably only two or three that he's had top 10 caliber offenses during his time with the Panthers, but obviously 15, 2015 was one of those. The Panthers were, I think, top five in offense and top 10 in defense. Because Cam Newton was... How many surgeries did he have at that point? It wasn't four yet. He was still leading the league in hits taken, but he was a 2015 version of himself, a fifth-year player that hadn't yet reached the Holy Grail, the Super Bowl, that hadn't yet been the MVP. And they had just a wonderful combination of running, some with their quarterback, but passing. Cam had gotten better than in his earlier years. And until the Super Bowl when the Panthers' tackles simply could not block the Broncos' outside rushers. Until then, nobody really slowed down the Carolina Panthers' offense. The Baltimore Ravens have a version of that cooking right now. That doesn't mean they're going to raise the trophy. The Panthers, of course, did not four years ago. But if the playoffs started now, are you betting against Lamar Jackson and a top-10 defense and John Harbaugh and good special teams led by a kicker in Justin Tucker that if you need that, field goal at the end to make it, or you need that field goal through tr difficult January weather, that's an awful lot going for the Ravens right now. When they had a powerful mix in a different way seven years ago, and they also started 9-2 and two that year, they did end up winning it all under John Harbaugh. And to me, along with the Patriots and maybe a couple others, they're the best bet to win it again this year. Final thoughts and TV picks as we come down the stretch next. Kurt Busch is joining us, 38-year-old champion of the Daytona 500. Well, I went out with Gronk last night after uh, after we won the race. Did you really? Also, it was fun. Got about an hour's sleep. I asked him, I go, hey, when do you have to report to training camp? He goes, July. I said, well, we can't be friends because i got to <laughs> go back to racing. Stay with us on the David Glenn Show. We are coming down the stretch on today's program. Special thanks to Will Brinson of CBS Sports, Heather Dinich of ESPN, and in his own way, Lamar Jackson of Louisville and the Baltimore Ravens. TV picks tonight include the new committee rankings for college football and a lot of college hoops, including Duke hosting Stephen F. Austin at 9 o'clock. Enjoy the games. We'll see you tomorrow. Mr. President, Barack Obama, welcome to the David Glenn Show. How are you? David, it's great to be on. It's wonderful to, to talk to the folks in North Carolina. I always say uh, I love the state of North Carolina, love the people of North Carolina. Even the folks who don't support me down there are nice to me. The David Glenn Show.